I want to read from Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. And this will at the same time be the text of the sermon this afternoon. Revelation 3, from verse 14. You read the word of God. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I self to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray for the preaching. Father in heaven, it was good to read your word again. And we're now ready for the preaching of that word. Speak to us, Lord, through your servant. May we receive it not as a word of man but as your word, mould our thoughts and lives through it. Write your words in our hearts so they may accompany us in our daily lives. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what a shock. Such a letter to the Laodicean congregation. You think you're rich and need nothing, but you're in reality wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Imagine receiving such a letter from Christ, the head of the church. You think you neatly have everything in order. 
and that you're doing very well. But Christ lets you know that you're spiritually poor. Yes, that you are disgustingly lukewarm to him. A serious word for Laodicea, for all churches throughout the centuries, also for us today. I proclaim to you the message of the text, Christ's letter to the self-sufficient church of Laodicea. And we'll consider two points. Firstly, their poverty, and secondly, Christ's love. Beloved, this letter is the saddest of all the letters. In the other letters, Christ usually still referred to something good. Now, however, not a single word of praise. Christ rebukes the congregation that she's neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. What does Christ mean? Usually with the adjective lukewarm, you'd think of people who have no enthusiasm for the Lord. People who cannot warm up for the work in God's church and kingdom. To be hot would then mean that the gospel sets you on fire. You're driven by love and zeal for the Lord. Being cold is the opposite. The gospel leaves you completely cold. You remain untouched by it. To be lukewarm must be something in between then. You then show a lack of spiritual zeal and a half-hearted devotion for God. Beloved, one problem with this interpretation is the fact that Christ says, I wish you were cold or hot. This implies that Christ prefers them being cold or hot above being lukewarm. How can Christ give preference to someone who's completely cold to the gospel? Beloved, the problem with interpretation is overcome if we understand the words of the Lord as referring to drinking water, an image of drinking water. One can enjoy a hot drink. It refreshes you. A cold drink is also pleasant, refreshing. But a lukewarm drink is usually not nice. It can upset the stomach. Through this image, the Lord describes the general situation of the congregation and how it affects him. In fact, he says, your situation is such that it makes me sick. That's why the Lord also says, I will spit you out of my mouth. The latter words show that Christ is indeed using the image of a drink. This interpretation fits well with the situation of Laodicea and its surroundings. The Lord probably uses an image derived from their water supply. It's remarkable how much Christ's words and imagery in this letter relate to the situation of Laodicea as a place. 
And this is also evident from the verses 17 and 18. In the first century, hot, cold and lukewarm water was apparently a unique feature of Laodicea and its surroundings. Hierapolis, about 20 kilometres north of Laodicea, was known for its hot water. This hot water had a medicinal effect. It was considered to be good for the body, good for the healing of bodily aches. Colossae, about 20 kilometres east of Laodicea, was known for its delicious cold water. It was refreshing and clean. However, Laodicea apparently did not have any good water. The city grew because of its trading position, but the water there was lukewarm, distasteful. The effect that the church of Laodicea has on Christ is like the effect of their own water. Christ is about to spit them out of his mouth. The congregation is disgusting to him, sickening, nauseating. Why this? Christ explains this in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. As is the city of Laodicea, so is the church of Laodicea. The congregation is a striking example of how the environment can put a stamp on congregational life. Laodicea was one of the major trading centres of Western Asia Minor. Laodicea could boast of great wealth. At that time, the city was particularly famous for three things. Its well-organised banking institutions. Its textile industry, with its beautiful wool and linen clothing. And its medical school, with its medical supplies. Laodicea was a proud city that had achieved a lot. This is also evident from its recovery from a major earthquake in the year 20, or 60 rather, 60 AD. They rebuilt the city without any outside support. This in contrast to Sardis, that experienced an earthquake a few years earlier. Sardis could only be rebuilt with great outside support. The people of Laodicea were hard-working people with strong entrepreneurial spirit. And thus you have here a very rich, vibrant city. They are proud of what they've achieved. Self-sufficient, independent. They can take care of themselves. They lack nothing. Well, as the city is, so also the church at Laodicea. Society puts its stamp on the church. For you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. The church members boast of their wealth. 
They're proud, complacent. They're not only proud of what they have achieved, but also of having achieved it on their own. I'm rich, I've become wealthy. They go even a step further. They don't need anything and have need of nothing. The lady says, feel happy and satisfied with their church life. Everything's well organised. It's running smoothly. No major problems. The money needed for maintaining the worship services and for all other church-related activities is generously given. No problems there. Look what they've accomplished. They have something to show for. Who would not be satisfied or even proud? However, Christ is not proud of them. He says, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. You do not realise that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Christ heaps up words to indicate the poverty of this Laodicean congregation. They do not realise they are wretched, miserable sinners in need of grace. Yet they are in fact poor, blind and naked. Their lack of spiritual treasures. They lack spiritual treasures. They stand before God as bankrupt sinners who can't save themselves. But in their blindness, they don't see their own bankruptcy. Before, they, before God, they stand in their sin and shame. But they don't realise it. Earthly riches have made them feel comfortable, self-sufficient and proud. Apparently, Christ has been left out of the picture. The Christians are content with themselves. And where self-satisfaction and pride increases, Christ decreases. You don't feel the need of a saviour then, do you? You can, and you'll save yourself. Then you don't understand anymore what it is to live by grace. Isn't it striking, beloved, that Christ stands at the door? Shouldn't Christ be inside the door? In their midst? But here in Laodicea, he stands outside it's practically a church without Christ. Yes, they go to church. They listen to the preaching. But the preaching of Christ doesn't really affect them. People who are complacent, self-sufficient, don't really need Christ, do they? You do not sit in the church as people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't experience any hunger or thirst. And that's why the preaching does not make you rich. 
the church itself experienced is experienced as an achievement. Something you wouldn't want to give up. Something for which you're willing to exert yourself. To make sacrifices. But something in which you yourself become central. Rather than Christ. Like a business. You yourself set up and run. Beloved, this worldly attitude also appears in their daily lives. Their lifestyle is no different from that of people who do not know Christ. You do your business, your work, your study the same way as other citizens do. Your attitude and conduct is not specifically Christian. Brothers and sisters, Christ also calls us us to examine ourselves. How would Christ characterise us as congregation today? What is our, your spiritual state? Are we a Christian congregation? In which Christ is central? Not just in word, but also in practice? Is it really about Christ and his glory in our church? Is it for him that we do these things? It may happen that I today hear the preaching of Christ and confess Christ's name. But tomorrow, continue with my life like most other citizens do, without Christ. We then read the same newspapers, we listen to and watch the same programs and videos, we have the same interests, and we're, <clears throat> we're busy with the same things, with the same priorities as young believers. The only difference is we're members of the church and we go to church. Watch and pray. Are we a complacent and self-sufficient congregation that thinks it is rich? You've chosen to participate in this worship service. Why? For what purpose? Because you realise your lost state and seek your life outside of yourself in Jesus Christ? Because you love and want to serve God, Christ here, and throughout your daily life? Or because it's nice and comfortable to be part of a caring community? Are you involved in Christ for Christ's sake? Or because it gives you a wonderful feeling about yourself? Several of us may be wealthy in a material sense. Our children are generally well off. However, do we still understand what it is to be wretched sinners, bankrupt and in need of a saviour? Do we still realise what it is to live by grace, independence on God? 
Note, beloved, the contrast between the church of Smyrna and that of Laodicea. Of Smyrna, the Lord says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. You're spiritually rich. But of Laodicea, the Lord says the opposite. You say, I'm rich, but you don't realize that you're wretched and poor. Who is truly rich among you? Who is truly poor before God? Are you rich in God's eyes? Or are you poor? Beloved, though the Lord is disgusted with the church of Laodicea, he still shows his patience and love. That's the second point, Christ's love. The original text does not say, I will spit you out of my mouth, but I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Lord has not yet left his congregation. He still gives time for repentance. He sends this letter to address and hopefully drive out that self-sufficient spirit. The Lord has sharpened his rebuke. Just imagine it being said to you. Because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, but you don't realize you're wretched, poor. A very serious reproach, yes. Yet it's a sign of Christ's love. As Christ puts it in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Christ is still busy with them and us in his saving love. Hear how he addresses them and us in verse 18. I advise you, not I command you, but I advise you. And listen to what he then advises. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and eye self to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Christ stated that they were in fact poor, blind and naked even though they thought the opposite is true. Christ doesn't leave them to their own resources. He now offers the solution to that miserable condition. Christ speaks a language that the congregation can understand from their daily lives. He introduces himself as a trader. He has three items for sale. Three articles relating to the things Laodicea was famous for. Remember those three things? The thriving banking institutions, the 
textile industry and the medical school with its famous medicines and ointments. Christ says, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Yes, refined gold, pure gold, obtained through the refining spirit. Gold that truly makes rich. Not deceptive earthly riches, but heavenly riches, heavenly treasures, the forgiveness of your sins, peace with God, eternal life. Buy also white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. White garments, a sign of purity, of the washing away of your sin and guilt. The white garments of Christ's righteousness and holiness. The party dress you can wear at the wedding feast to come. Also buy eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see you are in fact blind. You don't see your miserable situation. However, I have the recipe for blind eyes. My word and spirit that gets you to discover your sins. It shows you the way of salvation. There is no reason to stay poor, naked or blind. Buy from me those treasures, those white garments and that ointment. In short, buy from me your complete salvation. Make it your own. You don't have to pay anything for it. It's free. According to the invitation of Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Yes, buy without money. After all, earthly money can't fix what's wrong with me my sin and misery. Money can never buy what you really need, namely the treasures from Christ, the white robes of his righteousness and holiness to cover your sin, and the ointment of God's word and spirit that opens your eyes so that you can see again. Brother, sister, what are you going to do with Christ's advice? This is a word that calls for faith and repentance. And it also comes from the Amen, the faithful and true witness, from him who knows and testifies to the truth, to the facts. It comes from the beginning of God's creation, from him who brought creation about from him who has the power to bring about the new creation when you realise this 
then you will not let Christ stand outside the door, will you? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Maybe you have unwittingly pushed me aside, outside your life. But I won't just let you go. I stand at the door and knock. Beloved, based on this text, Jesus is often pictured as someone who knocks at the door of everyone's heart. You've probably heard it being said. He wants to receive access to your heart. You must let Jesus into your heart. Open your heart to him. It's up to you. Well, this is not what scripture teaches. This is an Arminian heresy which claims that it is in our own ability to let God into our hearts or not. God would then depend on my choice for him. Our text offers no support for that idea. Here it is not so much about individual people's hearts, but about the door of the congregation at which Christ knocks. Our text is for the church. Jesus says to Laodicea, I'm outside. You don't have me inside. I'm knocking on the door, calling your attention to the fact that you're forgetting me. You have, in fact, have no place for me in your scheme of things. You don't need me. You call yourself church, but you've put me, so to speak, outside. I am calling you to faithfulness. Listen. Here it's not about people coming in contact with God for the first time. It's not an invitation to them to be converted, as though that would be in their own power. No, here it's about people who already have been in contact with God, with Christ. It's about restoring fellowship with Christ. Of course, it's always possible that some members profess to know Christ, but really never had. For them the call would be to make their profession genuine. For those who heed Christ's call, it becomes a feast. Christ continues. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Perhaps we have here a reference to what Christ said in Luke 12, verse 35 to 37 in the parable of the returning master. When the master returns from a wedding feast, the servants are to immediately open the door to him. When he comes and knocks, he will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. In Luke, it's about the second coming of Jesus Christ. John probably applies these words 
to Christ's repeated coming in a spiritual sense, spiritually. During this age of anticipation of his final coming at the end of the age. The focus in verse 20 is on the immediate present and not the distant future. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. How awesome. Christ, so to speak, descends from his heavenly throne to eat with those who are of themselves poor, naked and blind. The fellowship with him is restored to those who repent and believe. And this has to be celebrated. What a miracle of grace. And then Christ no longer talks about the past. That I, so to speak, put him aside. Outside. That I shut him out of my daily life and practice. He grants forgiveness and holiness. This is something we celebrate every time we come together in worship and especially at the Lord's Supper. Later it will be followed by the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Christ also promises that those who conquer will sit with him on the throne, on his throne. Just imagine it. Sharing the throne with Jesus Christ. Together with him, conquerors. Together with him, rulers. Here in principle. Later in, in its fullness. Beloved, Christ has again spoken. He spoke seriously. He seriously called us. What effect do those words have on us as church? And it's people sitting in the church. Do you realise once again how easy it is to move Christ to the side or the background and to live without Christ? Do you realise how poor such a life is no matter how rich You may seem outwardly. Heed Christ's serious and loving call. Accept in faith his heavenly treasures. Christ's righteousness and holiness. The forgiveness of your sins and the renewal of your life. Peace with God. Life eternal. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for making every effort to draw us and to keep us close to you. 
We acknowledge that it can happen so easily, especially when things are going well, that we become complacent or even proud of ourselves or our achievements. And that we, in so doing, move Christ to the background and put ourselves at the centre so that it becomes our church. Forgive us where we are guilty of trusting in ourselves, in our own abilities and wisdom, instead of trusting in you. Thank you for not giving up on us, but that you keep warning us and calling us back to yourself. Thank you for offering us spiritual and heavenly treasures, the white robes of Christ's righteousness and holiness. Open our eyes to see our real condition of being wretched sinners by nature, but redeemed by grace alone. Free us from the dream that we're rich in ourselves while we're in fact poor. May we all truly be rich, rich with your heavenly treasures. May we humbly walk with you as Christ's bride. We pray in his name. Amen.